My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Cam Scott, Irene Bindi, and Daniel Friesen. In general, middle-class white people tend to experience police as a source of safety. But lots of people not in that category, particularly black and indigenous people, tend to be targeted by police for surveillance, harassment, arrest, and violence, and so experience police as a source of danger and harm. Ending police involvement in particular spaces, activities, or mandates is one practical way of reducing the number and kinds of encounters with police that people who experience them as dangerous have to navigate. It can also free up resources that can then be invested in a more genuine and equitable vision of safety, or really in whatever it is that communities need. Like pretty much everywhere, in Winnipeg there is no shortage of critical voices pointing out the many harms that police do to communities. In 2020, police killings of indigenous people have in particular been making headlines in Winnipeg, especially since they killed three indigenous people in three separate incidents in ten days back in the spring, including a 16-year-old girl. This spring and summer saw significant mobilizations in the city as part of the continent-wide uprising against anti-black racism and police brutality, including an online petition with over 115,000 signatures calling for, among other things, defunding the Winnipeg police. As well, earlier this year, a group comprised initially mostly of teachers, but also some parents and community members, got together to start strategizing about how to get police, often called school resource officers or SROs, out of Winnipeg schools. People in communities across the country have been increasingly concerned at the risk posed by police in schools, and there have been campaigns to get them out in a number of cities, including successful ones in Toronto in 2017 and in Hamilton, Ontario earlier in 2020. The group adopted the name Police Free Schools Winnipeg. They started out by collecting the stories of people's experiences with police in Winnipeg schools. What they heard fell into two broad categories. Some people talked about acute incidents in which police presence created or exacerbated conflict with students. This sometimes transformed a simple question of student behavior into an encounter with the criminal legal system, sometimes including violence by police and charges against students. Encounters like that are a key element of what gets called the school-to-prison pipeline for black and indigenous youth. And the other main category of stories talked about the less visible but just as devastating way that police presence changed the experience of school for some students and staff, and made them feel less safe and actively uncomfortable, often because of prior trauma from police. Some people dealt with this by avoiding the officer, avoiding particular spaces, even avoiding school in its entirety, in effect contributing to pushing indigenous, black, and other marginalized youth out of school. This fall, the contract between the local school divisions and the city of Winnipeg that put police into schools was up for renewal. The group mounted a campaign to stop the city from renewing it. 
They mobilized the stories they had collected, testimony by people who felt able to talk on the record, and a range of lobbying and social media-based pressure tactics to demand that the renewal be delayed and a report be prepared on other cities that had ended their SRO programs. Though they got support from a number of councillors, they were unsuccessful. Now, the group is focused on the school divisions. They're demanding that each division do an equity-based review of its SRO program. Equity-based means that it would be a review that would specifically seek out and center the voices of people in groups likely to experience harmful effects from police presence. Such a report was a key step in the decision to end the SRO program in Toronto, and the group is confident that this would also be true in Winnipeg. While there has been vehement opposition from some city councillors and school trustees, many trustees seem open to the idea of reviewing the program, and members of Police Free Schools Winnipeg are hopeful. Cam Scott, Irene Bindi, and Daniel Friesen are members of Police Free Schools Winnipeg, and I speak with them about the struggle to get police out of Winnipeg schools. My name is Cam Scott, and I am a community organizer with Police Free Schools Winnipeg, which is a group of teachers and parents and former students and concerned community members that gathered around the issue of police in schools this summer in the midst of a great social justice movement against police and really focused our campaign on Winnipeg school divisions this fall. I definitely was politicized in junior high and high school by the incredible tapestry of grassroots organizations in Winnipeg around the A-Zone, probably a former space of great significance in the exchange district that gathered all kinds of causes together. But I wouldn't say that I started organizing concertedly until my 30s. And I'm a part of various socialist efforts at making the world around me a better place. Where Police Free Schools is concerned, there are people I love in my life in Winnipeg schools. I didn't have police or rather school resource officers in my high school. But at the same time, as I failed to complete high school because of some rather headstrong administrators and some difficulties there, I was having tremendously negative experiences with the Winnipeg Police Service on the order of homophobic bullying and so on during uncalled for stops. I have a very easy time collating those experiences for myself and imagining what it would mean to have police in a place of learning. My name is Daniel Friesen. I'm also a community organizer. I organize with a few different groups here in Winnipeg, and I'm also a student currently. I got into organizing more seriously around the time of the climate strike in 2019. I started organizing with the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition. And then through that world, I just got connected with the activist community, more so Winnipeg. And then that led to being involved in more and more causes. And I guess just learning more about the world and other people's struggles as quite a privileged person wanting to make use of my time and resources to change the world for the better and make it a better place for others. I've been with Police Free School since the beginning, mostly working behind the scenes and also doing some social media stuff. My name's Irene Bindi. I'm a parent. My day job is with an activist press. 
So my politics are left and policing as a problem is not a new concept for me. But yeah, that's the context that I come from as an editor at a progressive press that focuses on social justice and progressive politics. I just recently joined Police Free Schools, but I've been doing some independent work in my division with trustees with the same goals. What can you say about the general context of policing in Winnipeg, and specifically about the role that police play in schools in the city? Police Free Schools came about against the backdrop of these social justice movements. Earlier this year, we were really inspired by the work of a couple of other groups around racial justice and policing in Winnipeg. Justice for Black Lives is a group that organized a tremendous demonstration and a series of actions throughout the summer, as well as a petition that we draw a great deal of inspiration from calling for, among all of these other practical measures, entirely defunding the Winnipeg Police Service the removal of police from schools. At the same time, there was a movement organized around justice for Aisha Hudson. The family of Aisha Hudson has organized some incredibly powerful rallies as well. Aisha Hudson was a 16-year-old indigenous girl who was killed by the Winnipeg Police Service earlier this year. And there's been no accountability. It's one of many killings of indigenous people, black people, people of color by the Winnipeg Police Service with impunity that points up precisely how they function in this city and how police function more generally. We see policing as a prejudicial practice, full stop. So for police to further infiltrate communities by way of schools, it's not separate for us from the problems that we see in our communities, principally afflicting racialized people, low-income people. Winnipeg is a tremendously over-policed city with a bloated, unwieldy, overfunded, omnipresent police force. This is probably going to sound familiar to most people in most cities, unfortunately. There was a poll recently that pointed up that a large, large number of people here want the police defunded. I think that the Justice for Black Lives petition that I mentioned has more than 115,000 signatories, which speaks to the scale of the problem. Yeah, the police in Winnipeg are very heavily funded and relied upon. And I think when we look at the police in schools program, the school resource officer program, as it's called in Winnipeg, it is a way for administrators to have another place to deal with, air quotes, problem kids. That's what we actually see in like the incidents that we're working at. What the police talk about the program doing is as creating positive relationships in schools we pointed out through our campaign that safety is not even listed as one of the goals of the program in how it is described internally with the police. So essentially what it does is it serves as a public relation campaign for the police to go into schools and reinforce their power in the community. And it gives mostly privileged teachers and administrators another place to kind of kick the can down the road when dealing with students that have social or behavioral issues that their under-resourced schools aren't equipped to deal with. As Cam mentioned, we didn't have SRO programs when we were kids. And these programs across Canada, I think, have been kind of snuck in without community consultation, which is a major point here. 
The difficulty in some divisions, including my own, is that trustees don't see harm unless it's incidents of violence, incidents of racism that are very literal and explicit in their nature. But the harms of racialized kids just simply being intimidated by the presence of police officers, which in turn can also push kids out of schools because if they're afraid, they don't come. These more invisible harms are things that are, you know, more complicated to communicate. That's part of the struggle right now is to make this information known that has thus far been sublimated or unexplored and, you know, is worsened by this PR machinery that the Winnipeg Police Service has operating on an ongoing basis. How did Police Free Schools Winnipeg initially come together? We started talking really after the Justice for Black Lives demonstration, and it started as a group of teachers principally and community members and parents as well, comparing experiences. Most people who are involved in this group who work in schools had already had tremendously difficult and unsatisfactory conversations with administrators about their misgivings and about the negative impacts of school resource officers. And they had not made great strides in schools. Simultaneously, there was a a huge uptake in community organizing of which we're all a part. None of us are presently employed in Winnipeg schools because it's been very difficult for those teachers who were the core of the group and remain so to talk about these sorts of things. It's difficult to talk about abuse of authority in your workplace. It was very difficult to have these concerns heard within schools and by administrators. So it was over the course of comparing these experiences that the campaign really took shape. And we thought that we would start sharing stories directly with communities and that we would go directly to trustees. If you look at our website, we lead with this storytelling campaign because we want to lift up voices that are systematically excluded from these conversations. It's all anonymous. It originated as an anonymous storytelling campaign because people weren't at liberty to affix their names in schools to some of these testimonials. And there was some uncertainty as to how to engage when we had to be careful about preserving people's livelihoods and so on. So again, we launched a storytelling campaign and we solicit stories with the intention of lifting those accounts and bringing them to the attention of school boards and trustees. Social media played a part, certainly because of COVID, but also because of these strictures of anonymity. A lot of momentum was gathered online. And since then, we have been meeting with school boards, talking to trustees, doing telephone campaigns. And a lot of people have come on board. Many people were already independently bringing these concerns to school boards and were organizing criticisms that are already there in many versions. Obviously, this campaign began after the pandemic was well underway and teachers are looking ahead to September and realizing that, you know, things are going to be hard. Our provincial government here in Manitoba is pretty committed to austerity and hasn't done schools any favors. Right now, we're among the worst in the country for COVID cases per capita. And all our schools in Winnipeg have just gone code orange, which is like the second most severe level of restrictions. 
And there's no way that a police presence in schools is going to help that. So that's been another part of the campaign saying that there's so much more that these funds that the school divisions are spending on these officers, which is basically for a PR campaign for the police, so much more that these funds could be put towards for actually ensuring real safety for our students in the face of this health crisis. What kinds of things have you heard about experiences of police presence in Winnipeg schools in the stories that people have submitted to the Story Project? The stories that we've received, in addition to the ones that we launched with, vary widely. And we like to call attention to two genres almost. There are stories of direct police overreach, mishandling of students, physical and psychological abuse. Those are quite alarming to read, of course. There are stories where the presence of school resource officers escalates behavioral incidents into encounters with the law. And you can see the school to prison pipeline at work in these stories where students are profiled in hallways as they come and go from classrooms, where students are handcuffed without any charges being laid and thrown against police cars really disturbing stuff. But then there's all these stories that are about unseen effects where people express real discomfort with the police presence. And they talk as students, as staff, about avoiding the police officer, eventually avoiding the school altogether, and really being pushed out. People from over-police communities having traumatic associations with armed cops in schools. And that's harder to quantify, but is, I think, eventually the more important thing to impress. So many of the stories are about people's discomfort around police and how that negatively impacts schools. One of the stories that was the most revelatory for me was actually shared by someone who works for a newcomer organization here in Winnipeg. And they were talking about how one of the stated goals of the program is to build good relationships between students and police. And we've always admitted throughout this campaign, sometimes there are positive outcomes from this program, but that does not negate the negative outcomes of the program. And so it's simply a matter of who is being prioritized. But the story was that there were students who were newcomers to Canada, weren't familiar with North American policing. And so then the only time that they had encountered police was at school. And then they had a relationship with this police officer. They would have, you know, friendly conversation with them. And so then that set an unrealistic precedent for them for when they graduated, went out into the community and had interactions with other police and got themselves into dangerous and harmful situations, interactions with police officers out in the community because they had this skewed and false idea from the program about how police interact with people in society, what their role is. To state the obvious, what is demonstrated through all these stories and, you know, what is simply a fact is that police are not trained to deal with any kind of student populations. And they certainly aren't trained to handle situations, you know, with children with disabilities, for instance, with newcomers, students with behavioral issues. There's a criminalization of conflict that happens. And in addition to that, there is staff, there are people who are qualified to deal with these situations. So it makes absolutely no sense to have police brought into these situations. Police surveil, they intimidate, 
And these are things that are coming up in the stories again and again. So you'd collected these stories and developed a richer picture of the impacts of the SRO program on students and staff. How did you move forward from there? We got a lot of support from other campaigns. As I said, we were inspired by this Canada-wide movement for communities to divest from policing and invest in like real health and equity and so on. So we talked to organizers in other cities. The other thing is that all the teachers in this group were racing back to school to under-resourced schools in the middle of a pandemic without PPE, without any kind of plans for distance learning in place, without any funds to realize those plans. It was absolutely chaotic and frightening, and it's very frightening right now for so many people involved. There are so many things that we say this money could be spent on instead of police. So there was an urgency to this shift in priorities. We wanted an immediate shift toward real health and not false security. And also a contract was coming up at city council. It was a renewed program agreement between the divisions and the city for SROs that would grow the program and grow the hiring authority of the chief of police, Danny Smythe, over the program. And we wanted to stall that renewal and have city council do a report on the other cities that had decided to end their SRO programs. We did not prevail upon city council, but we always intended to go after the individual school divisions and talk to the trustees who are actually directly involved in and care for their communities. And whether it's at the city level or the school divisions, What has it looked like to exert pressure on these local governmental bodies to get cops out of schools? In large part, the stories have been the most effective part of this whole thing. Having conversations with people for so long, this program has gone unquestioned by the people in power. And so when you present them with personal, pretty irrefutable evidence that this program causes a lot of harm, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Again, like I said, we would never claim that there aren't positive outcomes from the program and that people haven't had positive experiences, but there are significant and quantifiable negative outcomes from this program. And so then it's just a matter of who are you valuing? And if someone claims that they're for making our city a better place or for making schools a place that's safe for all children, and you present them with these facts about what the actual total effects of this program are, it all falls apart pretty quickly. So just having conversations with people, like even with the largest school division in Winnipeg, it's called Winnipeg School Division, where the program started, the architect of the program has agreed to call for an equity-based review of the program from our campaign and from having speakers show up to school board meetings and talk to them and share people's stories with them. The defenses of the program, often the divisions will point to a review that was done by the Winnipeg School Division with data from, I believe, 2012 to 2014. And this is basically overseen by the Winnipeg Police Service and based on data collected by SROs. So it is basically useless and it doesn't have any equity-based data collection. It's a series of questionnaires and the data is from SROs themselves. It's frankly a corrupt document. It, It paints this completely rosy picture of the SRO program. 
So what we are involved in doing in our communications with the various divisions right now is to emphasize that what is needed is an equity-based review that is independent of the Winnipeg Police Service. And that involves a much more in-depth level of community consultation that consults the communities that are, you know, most vulnerable to the harms that we hear, the stories that we hear coming from those communities over and over again. In my school division, which is the Louis Brielle School Division, the conversation there also seems to be moving towards an equity-based review. So I'm optimistic about that. A lot of trustees simply haven't had this information before. So they're processing it now. They're talking about it a lot. They're having independent closed meetings about SROs. So we shall see. One of the things that has come up recently is that the Winnipeg Police Service now is wanting to make presentations to the divisions about the SRO program. So they clearly feel that the pressure is on and that a shift is taking place. There are a couple of trustees who strongly believe in policing. And I think that they aren't looking at the material that we're offering. But most of the trustees, it seems, are open and receptive and aware of the fact that this is a serious issue, that they can't ignore it, and that they're being presented with new information that they need to take seriously. What is Police Free Schools Winnipeg's plan moving forward? As said, we encourage this equity-based review in Winnipeg School Division, in Louis Riel School Division, in Seven Oaks School Division, whose superintendent is vocally in favor of school resource officers. Winnipeg School Division was the pilot project in Winnipeg. It has the most SROs, I believe, nine, and it spends the most money, almost half a million dollars of the school budget in the 2019-2020 school year. So it's a major development for Winnipeg School Division to not only have sent this to the Finance Committee for reevaluation, which is what's happening now, but to be requesting an equity-based review. What we're saying is that the impact is little understood. So there are school divisions that are asking for more police in schools. And the police, what they say, when we say that this is an example of police overreach instead of outreach, the police say this is being requested by schools. And we say that the schools and the administrators in particular do not know what they are requesting. They haven't evaluated this and they haven't evaluated it with the people most negatively impacted in mind. So we are pushing for that review. We are confident what it will reveal. In the meantime, we're happy to keep talking to trustees. As said, the Finance Committee for Winnipeg School Division is going to reevaluate the expense of this program, and we want every school division to do the same. Since the contract was renewed with all divisions at city council, it's a matter of going division by division, talking to trustees, engaging with people, continuing to share stories. It's obviously a little more work for us, but I think it really allows more time also then to continue to spread the stories of the people negatively affected by this program and to hopefully help people realize the larger negative outcomes of policing in general beyond just this particular program or any one particular incident. You have been listening to my interview with Cam Scott, Irene Bindi, and Daniel Friesen of Police Free Schools Winnipeg. To learn more about the group, go to policefreeschoolswpg.ca.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.